last year, about this time, we looked at seven characteristics of grace-motivated giving. Seven characteristics of grace-motivated giving from the first section of Second um, Corinthians chapter 8. And uh, I'm going to go through this somewhat quickly. The, f- the first mark of grace-motivated giving is that it is done in the midst of afflictions and poverty. It is done in the, in the midst of afflictions and poverty. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, verse 2, their abundance of joy, their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So grace-motivated giving is not dependent on the economy, dependent on circumstances or situations. If a person waits till they are wealthy to give, they can't part with a penny because they are poor, they're not going to be... They're not going to part with a dollar when they're rich. Because that is a uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, pragmatic, uh, legalistic approach to giving. And so they'll always find an excuse, always find an opportunity to, uh, to, to hoard and to save up for themselves. Grace-motivated giving is tied to the cross. Therefore, whether... In times of plenty or in times of want, um, they give to the Lord. Paul wants to express how little the Macedonians actually had. He described their impoverishment in strong language. He uses the word extreme, right? Kasabathos, the pits. They're at the rock bottom. They're at palus, great much affliction, severe affliction. Uh, The test is called an ordeal, a trial. Uh, They're under great pressure, trying circumstances, but they did not allow their circumstances to dictate their obedience to Christ. What motivated them was the grace of Christ. Grace moved their eyes away from themselves and fix them to God. So the examples of the believers in Macedonia is indeed humbling and it is inspiring. It is humbling and inspiring. And um, I think that, that continues to this day. It seems that those who are are more uh, in dire straits, um, more tight with their finances, more in difficult circumstances. God gives them greater grace to give to the Lord proportionally than uh, those who are wealthy, those who are comfortable. Uh, Secondly, grace-motivated giving is done with abundance of joy. Verse 2, there was a surplus, an overflowing of joy as they gave to the Lord. They were not giving uh, grudgingly, reluctantly. You know, they were not 
Their arms weren't being twisted out of duress or a sense of duty. If that's your heart condition today, I mean, you should just you know, not give at all, whether it's regular offering or LTF. There's any sense of discomfort. There's a lack of joy in giving. You should not. I would encourage you not to give at all. But I would also encourage you not to even sing at all or even really like do any kind of ministry if that's your heart condition. A lack of joy is a symptom of a, a deeper issue, of a heart issue. It's a gospel issue. It's not an obedience issue. Oh, I got to, you know, everything's going to be okay and put a smile on my face and stiff upper lip, you know, pound, pound forward. No, lack of joy in worshiping Christ, direct ministry, and serving Christ in direct ministry is symptomatic of a, a much deeper sin issue. Uh, for the Macedonians, that was not the case. In the midst of severe affliction and trial, out of joy, out of great delight, uh, joyfully, they divested themselves of what little they possessed, and they gave to God through Paul. Now, where did they get this from? Uh, they got it from Jesus Christ. Right? Where did they get this example from? They got it from Christ. Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, uh, endured the cross. The Apostle Paul learned that from Christ. He says in Corinthians as well, 10, I'm sorrowful, but rejoicing. Because of all the trials in his life, persecutions and attacks from the church, he was full of sorrow, but he also said he was rejoicing, full of joy. And the Apostle, we studied this last week, Acts 5, they were, they were persecuted, they were beaten with rods for testifying uh, for Christ in Jerusalem, and they went away from the temple, crowd, uh, temple arena rejoicing, praising God, because they considered, God considered them worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. So that's a mark of grace-motivated giving. It is not out of compulsion. It's not out of uh, the church or the pastor or human obligation or duty. There is such joy in the gospel. Out of the overflow, there's radical generosity. Uh, thirdly, grace-motivated giving is overflowing with generosity. Latter part of verse 2, overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. We talked about this already, my, my, my second point. There's radical generosity when grace is present. When it's legalism, right? when it's uh, libertine, antinomian, and sinfulness, then there's hoarding, there's possess- possessiveness, there's selfishness, there is indulgence, where you see all things created as a means of self-gratification. But when there is grace, you see all creation as a means to glorify God. That everything that I am, all my gifts, my talents, my abilities, my intelligence, what little we have or what little I have, or anything that I'm able to do, anything that I have, it's all by grace. I didn't do anything to deserve this. I didn't produce this. I didn't manufacture this. I didn't earn this. 
God gave it to me freely. So you're so humbled by that. Grace prompts you to be generous because God has given it to us uh, by by grace. Results in generosity. Fourthly, Grace motivated giving is uh, it's wise, it's planned, it's proportional. There are extremes in the church, and I bemoan that fact where you know a lot of dear believers, blessed believers. I don't know, Gawo. I I I don't know. My my opinion. Maybe you you guys raise up your discernment dial. Few notches here, because I could be you know off the deep end here, but. These dear believers who give unwisely, give um, maybe you know disproportionately. If they're given by faith, there will be reward for them in heaven. But their leaders, um, I think God will judge harshly because they didn't shepherd and instruct them as they ought to have. And manipulation, coercion, exploitation is is common in, in the worldwide church. The Macedonians, shepherded by Paul, didn't give unwisely. They didn't give what they didn't have. Second Corinthians nine, they gave proportionately. Verse three of chapter eight, they gave according to their means. According to their ability. According to their ability. They didn't give so much, but now they were, in, they were dependent on others. They're dependent on the government, dependent on family, dependent on the church. No, they gave where they're able to still meet their own needs, meet the needs of their family, and yet they're able to give sacrificially. The Bible get, calls us, New Testament believers, not to give a, a percentage. Uh, not to give unwisely or disproportionately. The Bible, New Testament calls gospel believers to give proportionally to our income. First uh, Corinthians 16.2 On the first day of every week, which is Sunday, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. In keeping with his income. So I've given this illustration many times. If you're making like $300 a week or maybe 1000 a month, um, especially in Orange County, you know, if you're in like Wyoming or something, maybe it's different, but living here in Orange County, maybe you should give $1 to the church. Give 1%, right? And still you're going to be tight. How are you going to live on 9.99 in Orange County? Right? So give 1%. But if you're making 10000 a month and you're giving 10% and you're living on 9000 you know, is that really proportional? Maybe some of you are making maybe 100000 a month, right? Can we have a show of hands? <laughs> no, right? <laughs> Come on, Elizabeth, raise your hand. <laughs> your daddy, right? Uh, and you give... 10%, you do the math. I don't want to do the math. I'm tired this morning. <laughs> Is that proportional giving? Right? Um, you know, the richest man in the world. Anybody know? Right. Right. It was Warren Buffett. He's second place because he 
gave so much to charity last year. But he's still a multi-multi-billionaire, right? So it's proportional giving. It's not about the amount. The God has given to us. And so in light of that, that's grace-motivated giving. Uh, legalistic giving is about the amount. Right? Legalistic giving or self-righteous giving or duty giving is all about the amount or obligation or what other people are doing. Roman numeral 5, grace-motivated giving is sacrificial. Right? We see this um, in the Macedonians. Their giving was beyond what could reasonably be expected of such a poor congregation. Right? It was proportional, but uh, it, was, it made them uncomfortable. Right? It, it, it took... You know, we don't want to give... Not presumptuous faith, but it took faith. Right? Not presumptuous faith, but it took them to trust the Lord to provide and just their confidence in the Lord, not in the world. Second um, Samuel twenty four twenty four. This point is, is 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 right, where David said, "I will not sacrifice to God what costs me nothing. I insist on paying for it." David understood that if he gives the Lord, but it costs him nothing, it's not true sacrifice. It's not genuine worship. He, there has to be a cost to him. And C.S. Lewis uh, wrote about this. Um, he said it much better than I could, so I'll just, I'll just read. He said, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I am afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our giving do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot because our giving excludes them. So that's sacrificial giving. We're not asking. I'm not going to give where I have to sacrifice my shelter, food, and then I come to you, okay, you know, I gauge the church, I don't have food, buy me dinner, right? That's crazy, right? Or I sacrifice you know, my family's health, I take care of my children because I gave to the church. No, we're not talking about, that's not, that's not grace motivated, that's, that's foolish motivated, right? Grace motivated is you sacrifice the comforts of the world that you have every right to oh, for the sake of Christ. You, you give up going to frostbites, right? <laughs> no. You're just not happy. <laughs> right. I'm not going to go to frostbites for next year. <laughs> no. right. You give up on luxuries, comforts, right? And you cut corners, you tighten belt so you can give to the Lord. Sorry about that, Eugene. Um, six, grace-motivated giving is voluntary. Verse 3 and 4. They begged Paul to persist. You know, Paul didn't tell the Macedonians about the famine relief in, for Jerusalem Christians. This indirect ministry. It wasn't gospel ministry. It was indirect service ministry. And Paul didn't tell the Macedonians because they were poor as well. So he bypassed them and told the Corinthians, Macedonians heard and said, Hey Paul, how come you're not allowing us for this koinonia? You're not allowing us this act of grace. You're, you're not treating us as fellow believers. 
And they begged Paul to participate and to give for this work. Paul didn't beg. They begged Paul to give. To take part in this act of grace. And that is what grace-motivated giving is, is marked by. It's voluntary. Right? There's no coercion. There's no manipulation. There's no wrong motives attached to it. It's voluntary. Um, lastly, or second to the last actually, grace-motivated giving is done out of prior, a priori, giving oneself to God. Verse 5. The Macedonians gave themselves first to the Lord and then to the church. So Paul didn't want money from unbelievers. Paul didn't want money from those who were still in sin. Paul didn't want those who wanted to buy their way into favor with Paul or Christ. Paul didn't want to be indebted to anyone who was being carnal and prideful and thinking through money they can buy ministry or title or righteousness. Paul accepted from them because they gave themselves first to Christ. Now the overflow they are giving to the Lord. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So, we give our lives to worship, and then our things. We're so prone to not give ourselves, to hold on to our identity, hold on to our self-image, our self-worth, apart from the gospel, and then give things to Christ. What must happen is, we give ourselves, I'm a Christian. I'm not, my identity is not based on my, my income, my marital status, my children's achievements, or my relationships, or the car I drive, or what degrees I have. That's not who I am. It's not my ethnicity. It's not my gender. I am a blood-bought Christian adopted into God's family. So I give myself to the Lord and then as an overflow, I give my gifts, talents, and my abilities, my possessions to Christ for His use. That's grace-motivated giving. Now that's where I ended last year. And, you know, with the whole Reformation and the Gospel, I, I left out the most important point, right? And that's, again, the change from last year to this year. I left out point number eight. Grace-motivated giving is motivated by grace. <laughs> like, duh, right? It's like, I left that part out. You know, you presumed upon it. It was like, under the radar, it was like just implied but when you put the forefront, forefront, the most important part of grace-motivated giving is that you're motivated by grace alone. And that is what Paul does here in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is amazing how he puts it. I had to study this because at first glance it doesn't make sense. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? By that description, Paul is describing, he's summing up God's merciful action toward humanity in Christ. Cranfield wrote of this 
phrase, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, he said it denotes the utterly undeserved, royally free, effective, unwearingly, inexhaustible goodwill of God, active in and through Jesus Christ, given toward us by faith alone. And Paul says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? It is this. He was rich, but he became poor on our behalf so that we might be rich. That's the grace that motivates us. We wake up every day, look at ourselves in the mirror. We look to God and say, God, right? You lost so that I might win. I failed, but I get all the reward. You became, you made him when you know sin to be treated as a sinner on the cross. And you made me who did nothing but sin. All I did in my life, from the moment I was born, was sin against you, rebel against you, spit at your face, and curse your name, and crucify your son, and you made me your righteousness. Paul says, you know this. And you know it intimately because Christ did it on our behalf. Christ was rich. And he made himself poor. Philippians 2.7 says it more specifically. He made himself nothing. He emptied himself. He didn't give us 10%. He didn't give us 50%. He bankrupted himself. He emptied himself. He poured out his whole cup and gave us everything and became nothing for our behalf. He set aside his glory he was God in every way. Second person of the Trinity. He had all the glory. He had angels attending to him. He set that aside. He gave up his honor. So instead, being honored as God, he became a man. Isaiah 53, despised and rejected. He gave up that favorable relationship to the Father where he was the beloved of God. Instead, he became the cursed of God. He gave up his independent exercise of his authority and he submitted himself to the Father. He humbled himself, verse 8 of Philippians 2, to the point of death on a cross, a criminal's death. He did all this. Why? So that you and I, we might be rich. We might be enriched with every spiritual blessing. This week, read Ephesians 1 and 2. Read Ephesians 1 and 2, the blessings that are given to us because Christ became poor. How we are enriched, infinitely enriched because of the cross. Gregory of, of Nasinius said this, Christ was made poor that we through his poverty might be rich. He took the form of a servant that we might gain liberty. He descended so that we might be exalted. He was tempted so that we might overcome. He was despised that he might fill us with honor. He died so that we might live. He ascended to draw to Himself those lying dead on the ground because of sin. That is 
what Christ did. And Paul puts that before us, not so that we would follow his example, not so that we would do what he did for others and do that for others. No, it is rather believe this, understand this glorious truth. Don't just give an external obedience and your heart's far away. Don't give out of legalism or self-righteousness. Don't give out of duty. Don't give out of fear or guilt. No, understand this gospel truth and let it, let it marinate in your heart. Let it drive a wedge from that idol of money and let the gospel lead you and gospel train you and, and liberate you and, 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 and help you to give. And right now, the gospel, your maturity, your faith is that you can give a dollar with faith. Then give a dollar. Don't go against your con. Don't go against your faith. Don't give more than what your heart is ready to give. Because Romans 14, 23, everything apart from faith is sin. So if you give $2 instead of a dollar because you're motivated by fear or guilt or duty or legalism or if you don't give, God's going to harm you or hurt you in some way, then then, then you're not pleasing to the Lord. You're, You're hardening your heart. You're cauterizing your heart to the gospel. If the gospel is moving you to give $1, give that $1 with faith, knowing that that pleases Christ. God is happy because you are trusting not in the dollar you give, but trusting in Christ who died, that made you rich, that enabled you to give the dollar and drive a wedge in your heart from that idol of money. And if you're able to give a hundred or a thousand, same thing. Don't give below or above. Give what you have made up in your heart to give according to the grace given to, to us in Christ. Don't give out of need. God doesn't need our money. Cornerstone doesn't need our money. Our church is fine. We're great. Seriously, we're okay. Don't give out of need. Don't give out of pride or duty or legalism. Give because you're understanding this grace. And it's setting you free from love of money. And you want to devote that portion to the work of Christ. So I think I made it on time, so I'll review the conclusion again. No significant spiritual growth will happen unless you put your money and your attitude toward money in God's hands. It's Bible and your checkbook. Both books are important. So until you apply the Bible and the gospel to your checkbook, spiritual growth is a long ways off. I mean, we know this. Jesus talked more about money than about hell. In the Old and New Testament, there's replete instructions about finances because it is so vital to our walk with Christ because money is such an idol to us. A distinguishing mark of a true Christian is radical generosity. Radical generosity. So, you see someone who is uh, generous right, with their time, with their relationship, with their ministry, with their money, don't say, what a good guy, what a good gal. Right? What a good person. 
say, well, that's the grace of God. That is the gospel. Right? That is God working. That's Christ working. Right? That is really indeed the Holy Spirit moving in that person's heart. And that's a mark of true gospel faith. It's not, again, regurgitating, you know, I get the gospel or, you know, default state or talking about, you know, quoting, you know, these pastors. That's not understanding the gospel. When someone is marked by generosity, okay, that person or your own heart, wow, gospel is really working. It's not just my lip service. It's not just external, but it's taking root in my heart. And then finally, ah, grace causes us to give, not looking at our checkbook, not looking at others, not looking at the need, but looking at the cross. And that's such freedom there. That's such joy there. We give not calculating. We give not out of fear or obligation. There's joyful, right? There's prudent, proportional giving, but there's joyful, overflowing, sacrificial, generous giving because you're looking at what God has given to us in His Son. Let's pray. Lord, that's where we want to be. Lord, we want to stay at the cross. We want LTF, like all other ministries at Cornerstone, all other direct and indirect ministry, to be a fruit of the cross of Christ, a work that Jesus is doing and not a work that we're doing. So Lord, we want to stay here. We want to gaze at the the grace of our Lord Jesus, who though was rich, became poor, impoverished himself so that we might be rich in God. Lord, uh, what, what love and mercy and grace you've given to us, it is, uh, it is inexpressible. Words can't adequately uh, describe to you, express to you how thankful we are for your Son. We're thankful we are for this gift of salvation for making us... Uh, sons and your family so we just we just uh, gaze and look and we pray and we give thanks give all glory to you in Jesus name